Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that from the foundation of the world, you prepared for this day and this hour. I thank you for what uh, you propose to do. And I pray that you'll help me not get in your way. In Jesus' name, amen. As I've done each time I've had this opportunity, I want to uh, thank Brother Keith. Uh, I know full well that one of these days he'll stand before the Lord and he'll answer for what took place in this place while he was under shepherd. And I appreciate him lending this microphone during this week to all of us who preached in some. I understand that responsibility. And I'm grateful that uh, in these latter stages of life and ministry, that I've had the opportunity to hook up again with Brother Ted. As he said, we've known one another for quite a few years. And it's uh, good to be together here at this stage of our life and ministry. The Bible says in the book of James that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And if you look up that word, double-minded, in a Greek-English uh, concordance, you'll find that it means hesitant undecided, doubtful. If there ever was a generation of God's people who were hesitant, undecided, and doubtful, it was the generation to which the apostle, or pardon me, the prophet, uh, Elijah was called a minister. And as an example of that, I would like for you to open your Bible this morning to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21 reads like this. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Did you hear that? They were hesitant. They were undecided. They were doubtful. They weren't quite sure who God is. Is the Lord God or is Baal God? So the prophet introduces a challenge beginning with verse 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood. But put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood, and I will not put a fire under it. 
Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, that is a good idea. Many of you are familiar with the name Henry Blackaby, retired Southern Baptist pastor, retired as the head of the Office for Prayer and Spiritual Awakening, the Southern Baptist Convention, now has a widespread uh, global ministry in revival and spiritual awakening. He uh, has written a number of books. His most famous, of course, is the entitled Experiencing God. But he's written several other books. And one of those other books, he defined for us what an idol is, particularly in the modern day. And Blackaby says that an idol is any person or persons, anything or any way that substitutes for God in your life is an idol. And an honest look at that definition of idolatry reveals that sadly enough, idolatry is alive and well among God's people in this generation. And so I'm not going to make any case for the proof of the presence of idolatry, but rather I want us to see how the prophet dealt with idolatry in his day. And just say perhaps we today need to carry out some of the same practices. Notice first of all that he decided that the altar of the Lord needed to be repaired. In the following verses, first of all, the the prophets of Baal began to cry out to their God. And they, they cried out all day long. In fact, they got so frustrated and so disappointed that they didn't get any response that they began to cut themselves with knives and lancets. They were bleeding and they got up on the altar, their altar, and they danced around. And still there was silence. There was no answer. And after all of that, in verse 30, listen to what Elijah said. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Now, whenever we deal with an Old Testament passage of Scripture, we have to remind ourselves we no longer live under the Old Covenant. We live under the New Covenant. And the altar of the Lord today is not an altar made out of stone and wood. It's found in the heart of the believer. So how are we to make repairs to the altar of the Lord if the altar of the Lord is in our heart? Well, notice first of all what the prophet did in verse 31. He restored the altar's anchor. The Bible said he took 12 stones. Now all of us at our age ought to already know this, but whenever the Bible specifically mentions a number The Lord's not wasting his breath. It's there for a reason. In fact, he goes on and tells the reason in the remainder of the verse. 
He built an altar. He took 12 stones according to the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. In other words, he went back to the beginnings. Remember when you first got saved? Hello. I know you're out there. I can hear you breathing. I said, do you remember when you first got saved? You remember nobody had to coerce you to pray, did they? How many of you are still awake? I'd like to see how many I'm still dealing with. Okay. Nobody had to coerce you to pray then, did they? That's known as a question usually implying somebody gives an answer. No, preacher. Praying was a joy. Praying was spontaneous. Praying was like breathing. And you prayed. And you worshiped. And you rejoiced. And do you know what? It behooves every single one of us, regardless of our age, to periodically in our minds to go back to that point when we first got saved. And just tell Jesus how grateful you are for all that he's done to bring you to a place of salvation. And that's exactly how the prophet began. He began by restoring the anchor of the altar to go back to the beginnings. And then he rebuilt its structure. Look what he did in verse 32. So with those stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Not just any altar, but an altar in the name of the Lord. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, a church that was so proud of itself. Whoops. A church that was so proud of itself for all that it had accomplished and all that they were capable of doing. And in the book of 2 Corinthians, pardon me, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. He said, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and your spirit, which are his. And the prophet rebuilt the structure by taking 12 stones, the same number of tribes that God called into a nation. And he put them together again, as he had done at the first. Don't you know that when the, both when the uh, traveling sanctuary in the, in, in the desert and also later in the temple, before the instruments were placed in the, in the temple, they were anointed with holy anointing oil. And after they were anointed with the holy anointing oil, they were never again used for any other purpose but for God's exclusive use. And if you've been saved, I didn't say if you're a Baptist. I didn't say if you're a church member. I said, if you've been saved, you've been anointed for God's exclusive use. 
In our churches today, there's a desperate need, particularly here in our country, for the altar of the Lord to be repaired. The altar of the Lord in the heart of believers like you and me. But that's not all. Not only does the altar of the Lord need to be repaired, the allegiance to the Lord needs to be restored. Look at verse 33. Then the prophet Elijah arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water flowed around the altar and he also filled the trench with water. Once again, folks, we're reading an Old Testament passage of Scripture. We must remind ourselves that we're not Old Testament believers. We're New Testament saints. And the altar of the Lord is no longer made of wood and stone. It's, an alt- it's the altar in the heart. And the sacrifice that God is looking for, He's no longer interested in dead animals. Paul, once again, writing to the church at Rome, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he said, I beseech you, that word literally means, I beg you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God wants living sacrifices. That means we need to come today with a correct sacrifice it's obvious that in this passage of scripture this was a burnt offering there were several different offerings in the old testament you know it many of which laid back a portion of the sacrifice for the priests for them to exist on to them to eat to survive but the burnt offering was different all of it was burned as a sacrifice to God. Just take it from someone who's been on the road for north of four decades, being in church after church after church. People get so involved in putting their sins on the altar. Well, I'm giving up my tobacco today. I don't think the Lord's pleased with that. Another one comes and says, I'm going to quit cussing. You can spend your whole life putting your sins on the altar. What God wants on the altar is you and me. He wants living sacrifices. He wants a correct sacrifice. Not only does he want a correct sacrifice, he wants a complete sacrifice. The Bible says there in verse 33 that the priests were were slicing up the, 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 the sacrifice. And then they lay a piece on the altar. And then they cut off another piece and they put it on the altar. Then they cut off another piece and they put it on the altar. And the burnt offering was not considered to have been offered until the last piece was on the altar. To have stopped short of the last piece would not have been worship. It would have been the worst form of rebellion against God. 
What have you held back from the altar? What do you hold more dear than God himself? Don't look at me like that, folks. I've been around longer than that. What habit? What way? What routine? Nothing wrong with playing golf. Until it gets in the way of doing what God told you to do. Nothing wrong with fishing and hunting. Ladies, nothing wrong with shopping. I'm glad I said it. Unless it gets in the way of doing what God has called you to do saved you to do, intends for you to do, has commanded you to do. Israel did it. God said, you've robbed me. And they said, how have we robbed you? Be worthwhile to read the book of Malachi sometime. That's where most preachers, Baptist preachers, get their tithing sermon once a year from the book of Malachi. If you, it, it doesn't take long to read, not but four chapters. And uh, the Lord charged his own people with robbing him of tithes. And did you know they were already giving 10%? Wait a minute. They were already giving 10% and God said, you've robbed me of tithes. How could they be robbing God of tithes if they were already giving 10%? Well, once again, if you read the book of Malachi, you'll find out. What they were doing, they were giving the animals, they're giving their 10% out of the ones that had been injured and maimed and diseased. And from their crops, they were taking the 10% that, that, that the locusts had eaten off of. And when the blight had come and were scorched by drought and they were using that to give their tithes. And by the way, let me save you some time. Don't ever try to convince me that God doesn't have a sense of humor. I, I know better. And if I didn't read any of the Bible other than the book of Malachi, I'd learn it there. Because you know what he told the prophet to tell the people? Try paying your taxes like that. Hello? He said, he said pay, pay your governor your taxes and, and use those uh, crippled animals. Use those uh, blighted crops and see if that works for you. Listen, folks. There's a desperate need in our churches today to repair the altar of the Lord that's been torn down. And not only that, to restore an allegiance to the Lord that's been put aside. But there's one more thing. Not only those two things, but also the authority of the Lord has to be revered once again. Look at verse 36. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today, let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Now, hold on. Watch this last statement. And I have done all these things at your word. It seems we want innovators. Oh, give us a give us a leadership that'll come up with something different. We want to be inspired. We want we want to do things different than we than we've always done. <coughs> Let me tell you something, folks. Elijah was not an innovator. He was an implementer. There's a difference between the two. He said, "Lord, everything I've done." Everything I've done. When I challenged the prophets of Baal, that wasn't my idea. That was yours. When I, when I told them to pour those 12 barrels of water on the sacrifice, that wasn't my idea. That was yours. Everything I have done, I have done at thy word. And let me tell you something, folks. If we ever get over ourselves, I said, if we ever get over ourselves and patting ourselves on the back. I, now, I've told the Sunday school class where I'm a member, y'all, y'all just have to hang on. I'm going to do this again. Sometimes when I'm in a church ministering, I think of the little ditty that we memorized when we were young people. I love meself, I love me so, I took meself to the picture show, I put me arm around me waist, I got so fresh I slapped me face. <laughs> if we could ever get over ourselves... And how cool we are. And how wonderful we are. And how loving we are. And face the truth that God's trying to show us. He's not just trying to get back at us and punish us. He's trying to correct us. But we keep refusing to look at what he keeps trying to show us. We're trying to convince him how wonderful we are. But let me tell you something, folks. When we quit trying to do things our way and start doing things his way, it's amazing. You know what happens? What happens is there's a revelation of the true God. Look at verse 37. The prophet says, Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. 
Now I'm going to, I've been waiting really. I've been waiting for this point in the message. I wanted to give you this chance because I know some of you are chomping at the bit. How many of you have been convinced for a long time now? I I want you to raise your hand. This is your opportunity. You've been convinced for a long time that preachers are kind of weird. Come on. Admit it. This is your opportunity. Okay. Hey, I'm a preacher. I'm weird. I admit it. And I'm going to admit one of my weirdnesses. In fact, I'm going to admit a couple of my weirdnesses. One of my weirdnesses is when I read a verse like verse 38 that says, Then the fire of the Lord fell. Immediately, I don't don't try to make this happen. Immediately it pops into my mind. When? When? When then? Then's an adverb. It tells how, when, or where. When did the fire fall? Do you know when the fire fell? After the altar of the Lord had been repaired. After an allegiance to the Lord had been restored. After, my dear friends, and I'll tell you the third thing as soon as I pick up my notes. After the authority of the Lord was once again revered. Then, then, then the fire of the Lord fell. I think one of the most sad, one of the most sad, one of the saddest things in our churches today is how many of God's people, good people, wonderful people, super people, lovely people, have never been in a place where the fire of God fell. That's so sad. That's so sad. Folks, I couldn't, I I wouldn't even attempt to number the number of pastors through the years who have sat in their office with me and wept. Brother John, If I could just see something that God did and couldn't be explained by money or organization or talents, but you just have to back up and say, that was God. You know, when we see that, do you know the only time we see that? is when we start doing things God's way. And we quit patting ourselves on the back and congratulating ourselves and take the Word of God seriously and begin to examine and and look at what the Lord's trying to show us in our heart, in our life. And there's not only a revelation of the true God, but when we start doing things God's way, There's a rejection of the false God. Look at verse 39. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Suddenly, there's no more hesitation. Suddenly, there's no more doubting. 
the Lord. It's not Baal. The Lord is God. And just in case they didn't, uh, the prophet didn't hear him the first time, they repeated it a second time. The Lord, he is God. Something else too about that. Oh, I was going to, I was going to confess to you a second weirdness of mine. I believe, now, now this is my belief, I'm not saying you have to believe it this way, okay? But I believe that Elijah wasn't surprised when the fire fell. He had done exactly what the Lord told him to do. I don't believe he was surprised when it burned up the wood and the stones and even the dust. But I do believe he was surprised when the fire licked up the 12 barrels of water in the trench. I believe God just threw that in to bless old Elijah's socks off. I believe the Lord threw that in just to remind Elijah that he didn't do it. That it was the Lord's doing. And not only was the true God revealed, the false God was rejected. By the way, when the Bible says in verse 39 that Elijah Elijah told him, said, look, gather the prophets of Baal. That wasn't the first time he told them to do it, but it was the first time they obeyed him. Why did they obey him now and didn't obey him before they'd seen the firefall? And he took them down to the brook Kishon and he slew them there. Gladys Aylward was a Southern Baptist missionary in China in World War II. She was responsible for 100 orphan children, Chinese orphans. You know, wars bring orphans. And uh, this particular day, she was in a camp with those 100 orphans. And it was some kind of Chinese holiday. So all the hired hands were, went home for the weekend. And she was left alone with those orphans. And she got a, a message over the... Uh, teletype or the telegraph that the Japanese army was headed in that direction and uh, they were killing all the foreign missionaries because you see if you remember and those of us were alive in World War II uh, the leader of the Japanese was not just their emperor he was considered deity and so any foreign religion was attacked on their religion and so they were killing the foreign missionaries and they were killing the ones who, who, who they administered to had come to believe in the, on the Lord Jesus Christ. So their lives were at stake. Here she was alone with 100 orphan children. And the nearest uh, segment of the uh, Chinese army, the Chinese were our uh, allies back in World War II. They were 100 miles away. Had to cross a mountain range to get to them. But she had no choice. If she was going to protect and save the lives of those orphans in her own life, she had to try. So they took off. After two or three days on the road, across that mountain range, one night she got the orphans to bed, to sleep. Got some soup for them, some bread. 
she was alone and they were asleep, she began to cry. She was physically, mentally strained to the utmost. She saw the impossibility of the task before her. She wept. As God would have it, one of those orphans heard her, got up, touched her on the shoulder, said, Missionary, missionary, why are you crying? Gladys Elwood said, because we're, we're not going to make it. We can't do it. And the little orphan said, oh, oh, yes, missionary. Remember Moses and the children of Israel. Gladys Elwood said, yes, I remember Moses and the children of Israel. But I'm not Moses. And then that little orphan said, of course, you're not Moses, but God is still God. Listen, folks. God's still God. But we have some work to do. There are some altars that need to be repaired. There are some allegiances to the Lord that need to be restored. There's the authority of the Lord that's been neglected that needs to be revered. When Assyria, at that time the most powerful nation on the earth, attacked the northern kingdom, instead of God's people getting right, confessing their sins, repenting, they went down to Egypt and put their trust in Pharaoh instead of God. When Jeremiah was ministering to the southern kingdom and the Babylonians were threatening to invade Jerusalem, he cried out to them to repent. Instead of getting right with God, they trusted in tradition. That's right. They trusted in tradition. You know what the tradition was? The inviolability of Jerusalem. God would never let anything happen to the holy city. He loved David too much. He'd never let that happen, but it happened. And this group to which Elijah ministered, rather than getting right with God, rather than listening to the word of God, rather than dealing with the things that God was bringing before his people, They trusted in the bales. I've said it often, I'll say it again until we begin to hear it. The Apostle Paul, in two of his New Testament letters, both to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, and again in the church, his letters to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 and 11. He said the things that were written earlier, speaking of the Old Testament, were written for our example 
that we should not lust after evil things, even as they also lusted. Will we learn? Will we be instructed? The jury's still out. Would you stand please with heads bowed and eyes closed? And I'm encouraging you not to just be content with hearing, but you to add to your hearing, heeding, doing something about it. So right there, where you stand, would you just begin to make repairs to the altar of the Lord in your heart? 